Eugene Peterson said, every congregation is a congregation of sinners. And as if that weren't bad enough, they all have sinners for pastors. Well, last week we finished our sermon series going through the book of Esther. And Alan Reeb, who is an elder candidate, preached the ninth and final sermon in our series through Esther. And it was wonderful. It was incredibly encouraging. If you did not have the opportunity to hear his sermon, I would encourage you to listen online. On October 3rd, we will start a new sermon series going through the book of Galatians. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, Paul wrote, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And one of the ways we affirm this truth, the truth that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable, is by preaching through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And we usually alternate between the Old and the New Testament. That is a way that we affirm that all scripture is beneficial. All scripture is breathed out by God. We want to try to expose the congregation to all of God's word. And so our normal rhythm is to preach through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. But occasionally, we do a sermon series whereby we preach biblical texts based on a particular theme or topic. For example, we did an 11-part sermon series at the beginning of this year on the meaning of membership. Our sermon series was called Together, and we looked at our member covenant, and we went through a series of sermons unpacking our member covenant, which um, is written based on the commands of Scripture. So we about the importance of membership, what it means to be a member. And our hope and prayer is that every Christian will be a member of a faithful gospel-proclaiming church. And while the, sub uh, while the subject of membership is exceedingly important, the elders also thought it would be beneficial for us to do a short sermon series on the subject of elders and deacons. So over the next two weeks, we want to address the matter of what Scripture says about how we are to organize the structure and leadership of our local church. We believe that this is important not merely for a select few to understand, but for the entire congregation to understand. As a matter of fact, we believe that a church will only be healthy when the church conforms and submits to God's word regarding the organization and leadership of the church. So in light of this, we are doing this two-part sermon series on the subject of elders and deacons. Elders and deacons are the two offices of the church we see referenced in the New Testament. For example, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul addressed his letter to the Philippian church in this way. He wrote, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. So in addition to writing to the entire congregation at Philippi, he also addressed the overseers, also known as elders, as well as the deacons. So considering the attention Paul gave these two groups, we should seek to understand what the Bible teaches about these two offices of the church. The point of this two-part sermon series is not to suggest that elders and deacons are the only ones who have important jobs in the life of our church. On the contrary, we believe that every member is important and has an important job to do. We believe 
that every member is responsible for the health of the church. Every member is called to engage in the work of the ministry. Every member bears responsibility for guarding the gospel and the purity of the church. The point of this sermon series is, however, to help us have a biblical understanding of the organization and leadership of local churches so that we, Restoration Road Church, will be a faithful and healthy church. One of the most important things we need to understand is that the church belongs to Jesus. And through the scriptures, he has provided us with wonderful encouragement for us to be strengthened, important instructions for us to heed, and commendable examples for us to follow. Jesus said something incredibly important regarding the church in a conversation with his disciples. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 19, we read, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. There is much we can say about that passage I just read But what I want to call our attention to this morning is the fact that Jesus is the one who said, I will build my church. The church belongs to Jesus, and he is the one who promised to build the church, and he is the one who guaranteed that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. So after his death upon the cross and his resurrection... He gave a commission to his disciples, commanding them to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he told them, I will be with you always. And then he ascended into heaven. And we read in the book of Acts how he poured out his spirit upon his followers. And after that, the gospel began to spread. And as the events recorded in the book of Acts unfolded, New churches were planted, and these new churches grew, developed, and took shape. And as the gospel spread and new churches were started, one of the priorities of the apostles became establishing elders in every local church. In Acts chapter 14, verse 23, we read, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. As time went on, the role of elders became increasingly formalized. In his letter to Titus, Paul emphasized the need to appoint elders as well as the importance of appointing the right kind of man to be an elder. In chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, he said to Titus, This is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. 
If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he might be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So he laid out the need to appoint elders as well as the need to appoint the right kind of men to be elders. In 1 Timothy, Paul provided a similar list of qualifications in chapter 3 and then provided further instruction in chapter 5 where he wrote, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In Acts chapter 20, Paul had an opportunity to meet with the elders from Ephesus, and he exhorted them to pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So as the events of the book of Acts unfolded, as Paul wrote numerous letters and new churches were started, we see the establishment of elders in those churches and the elders are described as those who teach, preach, instruct, rule, oversee, and care for the members of local churches. In their book, Rediscover Church, Jonathan Lehman and Colin Hansen define the local church in this way. They say a church is a group of Christians who assemble as an earthly embassy of Christ's heavenly kingdom to proclaim the good news and commands of Christ the King, to affirm one another as his citizens through the ordinances, and to display God's own holiness and love through a unified and diverse people in all the world, following the teaching and example of elders. And with that in mind, we are going to turn our attention to 1 Peter 5, where Peter took time in his letter to exhort elders in the work the Lord had given them. So I'm going to read 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Peter began this part of the letter by saying, I exhort the elders, plural, among you. The Christians to whom he was writing had a plurality 
of elders among them. One of the important patterns we see in the New Testament is local churches led by a plurality of elders. As I read in Acts 14, elders, plural, were appointed in every local church, singular. Multiple elders leading each local church. Local churches were not led by a singular pastor. Pastors were never meant to operate as CEOs. We're not to design our leadership or pattern our leadership after the business world. No local churches were led by a team of qualified elders. The Bible does not lay out a specific number of elders a church should have or a specific ratio of elders to members. So wisdom and discernment must be applied in any given situation when a church is installing elders. Our attitude, our disposition has been that faithful elders are a gift to the church. And so we should not try to restrict or limit the number of elders. And we should certainly not try to limit or restrict the number of elders for the sake of efficiency. You may hear people say, well, if you have too many elders, it'll be tough to make decisions. Well, the purpose of the elder team is not to make decisions efficiently. As we've seen in our passage, it's to shepherd the flock. So we will not restrict or limit the number of elders for the sake of efficiency. Rather, we will seek to install the elders that the Lord graciously gives us, whoever they may be, and however many they may be. The benefits of a plurality of elders are many. For one, with more elders, we have more wisdom and more perspective. The collective wisdom of the elders grows with more elders. And when you have more elders, you have varying perspectives on any given issue. We also see the benefit of multiple gifts because no one elder has all the gifts. Every elder has certain gifts and certain weaknesses. And so with a plurality of elders, you have multiple gifts contributing to the work of eldering. There's also the sharing of burdens and the workload. All of us carry burdens, and we are called to bear one another's burdens. And the elders of a church must bear the burdens of the church. And with multiple elders, there's more men to bear the burdens and to bear the workload of shepherding. There's also accountability. It is a good thing for elders to be accountable to one another. And with a plurality of elders, there's the possibility for meaningful accountability. Having a plurality of elders also enables the elders to submit to the elders. You see, we believe that we're all called to submit to the elders, including the elders. And when there is a plurality of elders, that provides the opportunity for the elders to submit to the other elders. And so we see all kinds of benefits to a plurality of elders leading each individual local church. Another important thing we see in the New Testament is that the terms elder, overseer, and pastor are used interchangeably. All three of the terms refer to the same office or position of leadership in the church. Now what's interesting is that you will only see the word pastor in your Bible once or zero times. The only place you might see the word pastor used in your Bible is in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. Some translations use the word pastor. Some use the word shepherd. So in the, the, the ESV, for example, we read, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers 
to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So that word shepherd in the ESV is translated as pastor, for example, in the Christian Standard Bible. But that's the only place where, you're, where you will see the office or that position of leadership referred to as pastor. The more common terms used to describe the leaders of local churches are elders and overseers. In the passage I read from earlier in Acts 20, we read that Paul called for the elders from Ephesus and then referred to them as overseers. Similarly, in Titus chapter 1, Paul used the terms overseer and elder to refer to the same office. In our passage this morning, we see clearly that elders are called to do the work of shepherding or pastoring. Peter exhorts the elders to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And the reason we want to point this out is that so that we see there is no distinction between elders, overseers, and pastors in the Bible. In some cases, churches have, have used the term elder to refer to board elders who only make business decisions, so to speak, while pastors are the ministers of the word. But that is not a biblical distinction. We do not see in Scripture a distinguishing of board elders and pastors. What we see is that elders are overseers and are pastors who are called to do the work of shepherding. There is no such thing in the Bible as an elder who is not a pastor shepherd. That does not mean that every elder is gifted in the same way or does the work of shepherding in the same way. Some will do more preaching and teaching. Others will do the ministry of the word in other ways, such as leading small groups, one-on-one -on -one discipling and equipping or teaching classes. Some elders are lay elders. Some elders are staff elders. Staff elders tend to have more time and bandwidth to do the work of shepherding. But lay elders, nonetheless, will do the work of shepherding just in a lesser capacity, just because of time restraints. Nonetheless, they do the work of shepherding. So there are differences among the elders, but we see that every elder is called to engage in the work of shepherding. Biblical elders are overseers. Biblical elders are pastors. They are shepherds. Every elder is called to do the work of shepherding. At the same time, we who are elders need to understand that the flock we are called to shepherd does not belong to us. Paul referred to the flock as the flock of God, the church, the members of every local church belong to God. They do not belong to the elders. In Acts 20, 28, as I read earlier, Paul said, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. The church belongs to God because he obtained the church with his own blood. Do you see the value of the church in the eyes of God? The church belongs to God because he obtained the church at an exceedingly high cost, the cost of his own blood. Brothers and sisters, I hope you are encouraged by the fact that he obtained us, the church, with his own blood. That's how valuable and precious 
we as the church are to him. Yes, we are all messed up sinners. Nonetheless, he loves us and has obtained us with his own blood. That's how precious and valuable the church is to God. When Peter exhorted the elders to shepherd the flock, he reminded them of the one to whom the church belongs. He also exhorted them to shepherd by exercising oversight. Now, we may tend to think of oversight in terms of administration, but what is primarily in focus here is providing oversight of the members' spiritual well-being. We see this in Hebrews 13, 17, where we read, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Elders have a responsibility before God to keep watch over the souls of the members of their church. And we do so with a healthy fear of the Lord, knowing that we will have to give an account to Him for how we do this work. And how do we do this work? Well, I think the apostles gave the best summary of the work of shepherding in Acts 6-4 when they said, but we will devote ourselves to prayer into the ministry of the word. I don't mean to say that only elders do the work of prayer in the ministry of the word. No, on the contrary, we believe every member is called to engage in the work of prayer and ministry of the word. Every member is meant to be a minister of the word, and every member should be praying for our church. But elders do shepherd through prayer and the ministry of the word in an authoritative leadership capacity that sets the tone for the whole church. We pray. We pray for the church as a whole. We pray for individual members of the church. We are called to pray. And we are also called to engage in the ministry of the word, which takes on all different forms. The ministry of the word happens in individual settings, small group settings, larger capacities, we are called to engage in the ministry of the word, and therefore, it's necessary for elders to know God's word, teach God's word, and help others apply God's word. I love how Peter used the phrase, among you, two times. In exhorting the elders, he reminds the church that they have elders among them. And he reminds the elders that their focus should be the flock who is among them. I think it is a wonderful reminder of the importance of proximity. With all the access we have to events taking place around the world, we can neglect what is taking place among us. As elders, we cannot be distracted and caught up in all the events of the world in such a way that we miss what's happening right in our own midst. We miss someone who is struggling, who is hurting right in front of us. And brothers and sisters, this is a good word for all of us. We should not become caught up and distracted by the events of the world in such a way that we miss a brother or sister who is hurting right in front of us. We need to be aware of what is taking place among us. And as Christians living in the 21st century, we can find video and audio of incredibly gifted preachers from all over the world. You can find a preacher whose style you like, whose personality you like, whose content and opinions you like, and so on. But if you are a member of this church, 
when you sit under the preaching of Pastor Nate, for example, you are listening to a preacher who prays for you by name. And of course, that's true of all of us who serve as elders. One of the most important tools in our work as shepherds is our member directories. Why? Because we are not called to shepherd anyone and everyone. We are called to shepherd the flock of God who is among us. We understand the flock of God among us to be those who have committed to becoming members of this church family. So when you listen to the teaching, preaching, counsel, exhortations, or prayers of the elders of this church, you are listening to men who pray for you by name. Brothers and sisters, you have elders among you who love you and care for you. Elders, we are commanded to shepherd the flock of God among us. We are not responsible to solve the world's problems or have an informed opinion about every issue under the sun, but we are called to provide spiritual care and oversight for the members of this church. After describing what elders are called to do, he addressed the motivation for doing the work of shepherding. He said elders must do the work of shepherding, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Elders should never take up the work of shepherding because they feel pressured to do it. In addition to having godly character and the ability to teach the word, a man must have a desire to serve the body if he would become an elder. We must be willing to serve. When Jesus came into the world, he said, I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. We are to follow his example in seeking to serve, not be served. Moreover, a man must never be motivated by money. If a man is motivated by money, his heart is not in the right place and could easily fall into the trap of pursuing shameful or dishonest gain. Brothers and sisters, far too many churches have been corrupted by greed, have been corrupted by leaders who pursue dishonest gain, even stealing from the church. Finally, Peter exhorts the elders in regard to the how of shepherding. Elders must not be domineering over those in their charge, but must set an example for the flock. Have you ever been in a work environment where someone gets results and climbs the corporate ladder because of the way they threaten and intimidate people? Some of you have experienced this in painful ways. You know what I'm talking about. I remember when I worked at Farmers Insurance, we had a manager who was exceedingly intimidating. And whenever this manager gave instructions, it would be accompanied by a death stare. You would get the look. Everybody feared this particular manager. You just did what this person said. That was just the way it goes. Some were nice, not this one. And this manager climbed the corporate ladder quickly. In some companies, this kind of behavior is encouraged and rewarded. Brothers and sisters, this is not to be the case with elders in the church. Elders are not to have a my way or the highway attitude. They're not meant to impose their will on the church. Elders must not tear down people who question them or throw people under the bus who get in their way. Elders are not to have a mindset that says, I am superior to or more important than other members of the church. Elders must never use threats or intimidation to get what they want. They must not be bulldogs. 
Elders must not be domineering in their leadership. This kind of behavior is contrary to the example that Jesus has provided us. Elders must follow his example because the church belongs to him. We can only be a godly example to the church when we follow the example of Jesus. As a church, we need to work together to ensure we have faithful and qualified elders. Now, this doesn't mean that elders will never tell you something that you don't want to hear. Over the course of time, that's going to happen. Part of our job includes correcting, rebuking, and discipline. And the book of Hebrews tells us that discipline is painful in the moment. None of us enjoy being corrected. None of us enjoy being rebuked. None of us enjoy discipline. But that is a necessary part of the ministry of the elders for the good of the church. So we're not called to be domineering, but that doesn't mean that elders will never tell you something that you don't want to hear. Peter promised a reward for those elders who are faithful in their calling. He said, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In promising a reward for those who serve faithfully, he reminded us that Jesus is our chief shepherd. Jesus is the chief shepherd who cares for all of us who are in his flock. He is a good shepherd, and he cares for you. He knows you. He knows your pain, your struggles, your fears and anxieties, and your sins. He knows it all, and he loves you and cares for you. In John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is our good shepherd who has laid down his life for us. If you're not a Christian, we are so glad that you are here, and we hope that your biggest takeaway from this morning is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is our good shepherd who laid down his life for us. He died upon the cross in order to take the punishment we deserve for our sins. Every single one of us here is a dirty, rotten sinner. But Christ came into the world to save dirty, rotten sinners like us. And he did so by laying down his life, by dying upon the cross, taking God's wrath for us in our place so that we can receive the forgiveness of our sins. And he rose from the grave, conquering death, thus guaranteeing that he can give us eternal life. And he ascended into heaven where he's now seated at the right hand of the Father and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And those who will experience eternal life with him and his glorious kingdom are those who trust in him. Friend, if you have not trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation, we encourage you, believe in Jesus and be saved. He is a good savior. He is a good shepherd. Through faith in Christ, you will receive the forgiveness of your sins, the gift of eternal life. You will be restored to God our Father, who is a good and loving Father. Jesus is the good shepherd. He is our good shepherd. For those of us who serve as elders, we must always be mindful that the flock belongs to Jesus and that we must seek to serve and care for the church in the way that he does. He came not to be served, but to serve. He came to lay his life down for the church. 
In verse 5, Peter wrote, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We are all exhorted to clothe ourselves with humility. Clothing ourselves with humility means that humility is not merely a good idea, but it's how we should be characterized. We are to have humble hearts so that everything we do is marked by humility. And humility is not a one-way street. We are all to be humble toward one another. In a healthy church, the relationship between the elders and congregation should be characterized by mutual humility. We should all be humble toward one another, recognizing that we are all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We are all in need of his grace. Our relationships toward one another should be characterized by humility in that we treat others as more significant than ourselves. We, are all, we all ought to be humble toward one another. Jesus is our chief shepherd. The church belongs to him. The church is valuable to him, and he cares deeply about every member of his flock. In his wisdom, he gives elders to shepherd local churches. The elders have a weighty task to care for, pay attention to, keep watch over, and shepherd the members of a local church. By God's grace, we have seven elders and one elder candidate here at Restoration Road. Nate and I are the two staff elders, and the other elders are lay elders, which means they have two jobs but only get paid for one of them. I just want to say that I am particularly grateful for the ministry of this elder team. I have benefited tremendously from the minister, ministry of the elders. I have been encouraged and built up in my faith. I have been prayed for. I have been corrected. I have been helped in my own walk with Christ. I consider it a great joy and privilege to be on staff as one of the staff elders, along with Nate. Nate has pastored me, counseled me, prayed for me. And the lay elders have been a tremendous encouragement to me as well. I'm amazed at how they serve. They have their jobs, they have their families, yet in their extra time, they do the work of the ministry, shepherding this congregation, and much of what they do goes unseen. But I get to see it. I get to see the work of the lay elders, and to me, they are heroes in the life of this church. They are faithful shepherds who care deeply for this congregation and give much of their time to the building up of the church for the glory of God. A few things I'll share about the elders that I hope will help you know how to pray for us, even as we pray for you. First of all, we are sinful men. Pray for us. Pray that we will not remain blind to our sin. Pray that the Lord will help us to see our sin so that we will turn from our sin. Pray that he will cause us to hate our sin rather than make peace with our sin. Pray that he would grant us repentance. Pray that we who are sinful men will walk daily in repentance. We need this. Secondly, we are sheep. We who serve as elders recognize that we are first and foremost sheep in the flock of God. We understand that we are in no way superior to the rest of the congregation. We are sheep before we are shepherds. We are members before we are elders. We are those who are in need of the care of our chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. 
Also, we recognize that we can bear no good fruit in our ministry apart from Christ. It doesn't matter how hard we work. It doesn't matter what clever strategies we come up with. It doesn't matter how much knowledge we have. Apart from Christ, we, the elders of this church, will do nothing valuable. We will produce no meaningful, lasting fruit. Apart from Christ, our effort will be in vain. Pray for us. Pray that our work will be done in the Lord, that we will abide in Jesus Christ, that we will not serve in vain. We are completely and utterly dependent on the Lord to do good, fruitful work. We know this. Pray for us. Also, I'd say the spiritual battles are real. It is difficult, it is challenging to shepherd others when you're dealing with the sin in your own heart. It is challenging, it is difficult to shepherd others when you're having difficulty in your own marriage, when you're having difficulty parenting your own children. Pray for us, because inevitably these things happen. The spiritual battles are real. Pray for the Lord's protection around us. Pray for the Lord to protect our marriages and our families. Pray that we will be faithful shepherds in our first church, which is our home. Pray that we will faithfully do these things and not dishonor the Lord. The spiritual battles are real. Pray for us. And lastly, I'll say this. The elders of this church deeply love and are profoundly grateful for this church family. One of the things that I have observed is the love and gratitude of the elders for this congregation. I'm so grateful for the way that this church loves one another. I'm so grateful for the way that we all love one another and serve one another as members. I'm so grateful for the way the members love and care for the elders. The elders love and care for this congregation. That is a gift that I do not take for granted, and brothers and sisters, neither should we. Do not take that for granted. Sadly, there are churches that do not experience this that experience division, discord. God has blessed us in this. Do not take this for granted. This is something we should pray and work for. Pray that we would continue to be unified, continue that we will love, continue to love and serve one another, continue that we will be humble toward one another. Pray for us to this end and pray for the entire church to that end. But know this. The elders of this church love this church deeply and are profoundly grateful for this church. Every congregation is a congregation of sinners. As if that weren't bad enough, they all have sinners for pastors. But thanks be to God, we have Jesus Christ as our chief shepherd. The church belongs to him. He cares for the church. And Lord willing, the elders of this church will serve in such a way that is pleasing to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our chief shepherd, the good shepherd, who laid down his life for us. We are your sheep. We are the flock that belongs to you. We pray you would help all of us to follow our chief shepherd. Help us to hear his voice. And Lord, we pray for the elders among us. We pray that we would serve in a way that is pleasing to you, in a way that reflects Jesus. We pray that you would enable us to do the work that you've called us to do. Help us to be faithful. 
And we pray that our church will be healthy. Guard us, protect us, guide us, we pray. We thank you for this, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.